Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part two of the book of Genesis, chapters 45 through 47. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Let's look at the measure that Jesus used, the measure of mercy, the measure of forgiveness. Jesus was not just carrying the weight of the wood of the cross. His cross had the weight of all human unforgiveness and all human sin of all time attached to it. The second person of the Trinity made into man, into incarnate flesh, would fall three times under the duress of carrying the heaviness of this weight of the cross. He had really the weight of the world on his shoulders, but the emotional weight of sin, probably even heavier than the actual sin, every single sin of all time for all humanity. He covered you with the blood of the lamb because he was the final sacrificial lamb of God. God accepted his final sacrifice as perfect. St. Paul has a beautiful Holy Spirit insight when he writes to the Corinthians and says, For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He was absolutely sinless, blameless, righteous, just. And for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus felt three times under the crushing weight of our sin, the great crushing weight of our collective sin. Isaiah prophesied it perfectly. When he said he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that made us whole, and with his stripes we are healed. Yet it was the will of the Lord to bruise him. He was put to grief. When he makes himself an offering for sin, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the fruit of his travail, of his soul, and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Like Joseph, Jesus hangs there on the cross for Joseph's brothers to be redeemed. All Joseph's brothers and Joseph and Jacob were waiting for that day in Sheol. They're waiting for a savior. Jesus hung there. Also for us, his own brothers and sisters, to be redeemed. Our father, this son of Judah, will offer his very life for another. While we were still sinners. We weren't even friends. We were sinners. Isaiah continues, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. We, fallen humanity, we're those transgressors. Since we all have sinned, every single person in here, right? Since we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption, which is Christ Jesus. There is no sin that he did not carry on that day. There is no mortal sin that you have committed that he did not agonize over and sweat blood over on that day in the garden. And Jesus said, yes, Father, I will drink that cup. I will drink that cup. 
I will drink that cup for Marty. I will drink that cup for Nancy. I will drink that cup for Sharon. Joseph had a silver cup. Jesus' cup is a far greater antitype cup than Joseph's. He agonized over you and the shameful things you would do in this very short life on earth that you have been gifted. And by the way, he gifted you that life because all things were created through him. Through him, all things were made. Jesus drank the cup of agony, the cup of the curse of man, and he transformed it into the greatest cup of blessing. He transubstantiated it through his new priesthood, his new eternal priesthood. He knew that James and John couldn't do it. When Salome came begging for her son's position at the right and left, Jesus said to James and John, do you know what you're asking? Are you able to drink the cup that I am going to drink? Only he had been given this special mission by the Father. Only he was the way back to the Father. It'll be through him, with him, and in him, in the 100% unity of the Holy Spirit, which is the perfection of the love of the Father spirated into a new person. And it will give all glory, all honor, all praise, and thanksgiving to the Father of every good and perfect gift. Just as Joseph had a silver cup, Jesus too had a cup. And let's look at John. John is like Benjamin. John is the youngest of the new 12. He will not be asked to drink this cup of Jesus's, but soon enough, John will be given his own cup, his own priestly cup. He'll be a new priest in Jesus Christ in the order of Melchizedek. And this is a painting of John. There are many paintings like this where you see John with his cup and a demon or a snake coming out of it. In time of persecution, John was offered a glass of poisoned wine. Before drinking, he blessed the cup and poison came out of the cup in the form of a small green snake. Oral tradition. John was the beloved disciple, the one Jesus loved. Think of the two brothers, Joseph and Benjamin, Jesus and John. Benjamin, the beloved brother, was the one Joseph loved. Look at the typology in these pairs of brothers. Joseph and Benjamin, these two brothers have the same mother, right? Rachel, the one who their father Jacob loved like none other. Jesus and John, these two brothers would also have the same spiritual mother, Mary, who their father God, the father, loved like none other. Mary was the most highly favored daughter of Israel, really of all the world. She is ultimately crowned the queen of heaven and of earth. Mary was one of the reasons that Lucifer said, I will not serve God's plan because he did not want a mere creature, a mere human woman elevated higher than him in the heavenly place. She would be exalted and given a place higher, the queen of saints and angels. Jesus and John would have the same spiritual mother, Mary. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing near the foot of the cross, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple John took Mary into his home. Jesus and John had the same mother. John won't leave the side of Mary and Mary won't leave the side of Jesus. Let's look at a typology between the old Rachel and the new Rachel. Both give birth to two beloved sons of the father. Rachel gives birth to Joseph and Benjamin. They are sons of Jacob, sons of Israel. Mary will give birth to a son of old Israel and 
a son of new Israel. Jesus is both sons and marries the hinge pin between the two covenants. Rachel died in childbirth, giving her life for another. No greater love is there than this than to lay down one's life for another. Rachel was buried on the road right outside of Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph had to pass by Rachel's tomb as they fled that night to Egypt. It's the only road. There's no other highway to go on. They, at that exact location, had to walk by Rachel's tomb. At that location is where Herod is slaughtering the innocents. Rachel is predicted by Jeremiah 31. Rachel is crying for her children. She refuses to be consoled because her children are no more. Mary and Joseph pass right by that spot where she's buried, right where Herod is taking children. And they move on to Egypt and they are strangers in a foreign land, but that land is not so foreign because that's where Joseph lived and their ancestors for almost 500 years. Out of Egypt, I called my son, says Hosea the prophet, and so does Matthew. He confirms out of Egypt, I called my son. Jesus will come up out of Egypt. Before they had escaped to Egypt, Mary laid Jesus in that trough where the animals ate wheat. He becomes bread of life, food for the world. Her babe would become the true Zephaniah the, the that uh, St. Jerome translates from the Egyptian to the Latin Vulgate, the true savior of the world, the savior of the entire world. The entire world must go through Joseph, only he has the bread of life. The entire world must also go through the new Joseph, Jesus, for bread and to access the Father. Only Jesus will have the bread of life. He says, I am the bread of life, the great I am. Jesus will drink the Father's cup and Jesus will transform it into a new covenant cup of his very blood. As Luke told us in Luke 22, Jesus says, this is my body, which is given for you. This cup, which is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. Both of this Eucharistic blood, this, this new wine flowing at Cana. It was said of both Jesus and Joseph, do whatever he tells you. As for the dreams, all would bow before Jesus, the bread of life, the sun, the moon, the stars bowing down. Did that happen? The reign of Jesus is cosmic. The heavens are telling the glory of God. At the moment of birth, the heavens send a star. At the death of Jesus, a three-hour total eclipse of the sun, the heavens are telling the glory of God. The reign of Jesus is cosmic. The, around the throne in Revelation, around the throne are 24 thrones and seated on the thrones are 24 elders clad in white garments upon golden heads upon their heads, golden crowns upon their heads and 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne singing, worthy art thou, O Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power, bowing down in obeisance, the 12 and the 12, the 12 tribes of Jacob, the 12 new apostles, 24. Thou did create all things and by thy will, they existed and were created. What about the sun and the moon that would bow down to Joseph? Hmm. A great portent appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head, a crown of 12 stars. She was with child and she cried out in her pangs of birth in anguish for delivery. Now the sun and the moon were not Jacob's wife and Jacob, but I think it's God, the sun, the, the uncreated light and Mary, the moon 
Mary the moon. These two, Mary and Jesus, have been given a mission from before the beginning of time. Their entire life's mission will be fulfilled together, all for the greater glory of God, for the greater glory of God the Father. Mary the new Eve will cooperate until the absolute bitter end. Mary and John together will cooperate because they are co-redeemers in Christ, as each of us is meant to be. There are two testaments, the Old Testament, the New Testament. You have the doctrine of creation and the doctrine of redemption. God's made you a co-creator. You have children, you're a co-creator. God also wants you to be a co-redeemer. Help your children get to heaven. (laughs) There's part for us to do in this work of redemption. She is aware of the evil one who wants to devour her child from the minute he's born. And she ponders with great awareness, always aware of where Satan is. In Mel Gibson's The Passion, it's incredible. Mary knows Satan is there. She's always watching, always aware of his presence, his whereabouts. And he is depicted as an androgynous serpent, always lurking and ready to pounce. Remember him? It's a provocative image of Satan carrying a deformed, leering baby. It it, it startles you. Mary will stand firm in her yes until the end. Be it done unto me according to your word. She will always listen to the word of God. Eve did not trust the word of God. The new Eve will trust God's every word to the bitter end. She will stay. She will stay. She will stay at the cross. She will cooperate with the new Adam until it's over. His blood, the wine of Cana, that's the first Eucharistic blood on her lips in the passion when, when she does, he's deposed into her arms and her face gets bloody and she has the blood of Christ on her lips. The cup of salvation that he will drink, she will also drink. Mary receives that first Eucharistic blood of Christ as Jesus was the new and final high priest of two Israels, an old Israel and a new, and there's Mary in the middle. Jesus talks, Joseph has wheat. He's the only one that has wheat. Jesus also talks about wheat. It's the climax of John's gospel at John 12. Very truly, Jesus says, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Unless a grain of wheat, one grain, falls into the earth, the cursed earth, and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit, fruit for the life of the world, bread for the life of the world. Jesus joins fallen humans. He's that grain of fallen wheat that goes into the ground, uncurses it. He dies, goes into the ground so that humanity may be made spiritually unfallen again that the ground is uncursed, that we have a way back out of Sheol and to the Father. He'll bring that gospel to the imprisoned spirits in Sheol who are waiting like Joseph's brothers and Joseph and Jacob. And those dormant seeds, he will help them sprout because he is the light and light makes seeds sprout. Then he will have an outpouring of his Holy Spirit and fill our temples with himself. And those who say yes to this good news will go on mission and bear much fruit for the life of the world. You will be bread for the world. You, dormant seeds, waiting, each of you, a seed of grain, waiting for the light of Christ to shine on you, for the river of life to water you and sprout you up. That's the Holy Spirit. We're those dried dormant seeds. We're watered in our baptism. The river of life, the Holy Spirit is poured over us. Our 
original sin is cleansed. We're given the light of Christ in a candle. It's lit right from his resurrection Easter candle. And we're to take that light of Christ into the world. We're to be those seeds that sprout and grow and, and, and bear fruit. He becomes our light. He helps us grow. And when we're seven years old, when we reach the age of reason, we go to our first confession and we go to our first communion and he feeds us of his very self because we want to become partakers of his divine nature again. So we partake of him so we can be transformed. And then when we're ready, when we're ready for confirmation, there's not enough laborers. Jesus told the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. You are confirmed by the power of the Holy Spirit and you go out and you become a laborer for his kingdom. Jesus says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. He says this to his apostles, the, the fields are white for the harvest. Let's not grow weary of doing good, says Paul, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. In another parable about wheat, Jesus put before them the kingdom of heaven. He said it can be compared to a man who sows good seed in his field. But while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. Now, at first, when you plant wheat and weeds come up, tares, they're called, they look almost identical to the wheat. You can't tell which is which when they're little plants. You really can't. But when it's time for harvest, you can tell. You can really tell. This is your life when you're little and when you're ready to be harvested. What are you? A wheat or a weed? The servant of the household came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? Then how has it weeds? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. And the servant said to him, then what do you want us to do? Gather them? And he said, no, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you'll root up some of the wheat along with them. So let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. We want to go into his barn. We want to be the wheat that goes into his barn. We don't want to be the weeds that are burned. They, they don't understand it. They said, could you explain this to us, Jesus? Could you explain to us? And he answered, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed means sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is at the close of the age. And the reapers are the angels. And just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers and throw them into the furnace of fire. There men will weep and gnash their teeth and the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. He who has ears, let him hear. He promises us he is coming again to judge the living and the dead. Jesus is the judge. Are you going to be a wheat or a, or a weed? Choice is yours. In Revelation, John has the vision. Another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. Put in your sickle and reap. The hour to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. There will come a day when it's time to harvest the wheat. That's us. That's us. 
we're wheat. There will come a day, the second coming of Christ, when we will be harvested. He promises that. In the meantime, he feeds us wheat, bread, so he can heal us. It's the medicine of immortality. So we can become more like what we partake of. We want to go back and partake of that divine nature that we were separated from. We're going back to that. It starts here with the Eucharist. We eat Jesus so we can give off the aroma of Christ to others. Have you ever smelled baking bread? It's wonderful. When Polycarp was being martyred and they were burning his body, all everyone could smell was bread, baking bread. He was so Eucharistic. He, lo- he was so Christ that he smelled like baking bread. Okay, Jacob will bring his whole family to Egypt. He will see Joseph. Now he can die like Simeon. Now I've seen salvation. I can die. And he will be asked, Jacob will be asked to bless Pharaoh of Egypt. The greater always blesses the lesser in the Bible. Jacob's God is greater than all Pharaoh's little G gods of Egypt. He is blessing the Pharaoh. Jacob will settle in Goshen, the most fertile land. And this is the last thing. And it might've upset some of you, but now Joseph has everything. The people say, we'll give you money. We'll give you money in exchange for bread. But when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt, the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us food. Uh, We'll die before your eyes. Our money's gone. Well, Joseph said, I'll take your animals. I'll take your livestock, your cattle. Bring me all your animals. I'll give you, give me your animals. I'll give you bread. Joseph said, give me your cattle, your food, and, and I'll give you food in exchange. The money's gone. So they brought their cattle to Joseph and Joseph gave them food in exchange for horses and flocks and herds and asses. He supplied them with food in exchange for their cattle. But then all the cattle, all their livestock was gone. Now what will they give? They will give their own bodies to Joseph and all their land in exchange for bread. Only the land of the priests will not be bought because the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh. They lived on the allowance which Pharaoh gave them. They did not sell their land. But all the other Egyptians sold their bodies, all their land. They're out of money, out of livestock. Now their bodies and land. And Pharaoh said to the people, behold, I have this day brought you and your land for Pharaoh. Here's the seed for you. You'll sow the land. And at the harvest, you will give a fifth to Pharaoh. A fifth. What's a biblical tithe? A tenth. He's asking for double, double the biblical tithe. I will, you'll give a fifth, 20% to Pharaoh. Four fifths you can keep. And they said, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. They're thrilled to be slaves because they're alive. They're thrilled to give their lives to him. You have saved our lives. May it please my Lord. We will be slaves. We will be slaves. We will be slaves of Pharaoh. They're thrilled to be slaves. That's interesting. Now put your Jesus glasses on, okay? Because it's a typology. You can give Jesus your money. You can throw it in the collection basket at church and that's all you do. I gave my money. I went to church on Sunday. Boom. He wants more. Or you can give him all your worldly attachments. Everything you're attached to. Okay. Okay. But what he wants, finally, at the very end, he wants your very life. He wants it all. He wants everything. Paul understood this. Paul Paul calls himself several times in scripture a doulos. It's the Greek word for slave. He's a slave for the Lord. So a person uh, should think about us this way as slaves of Christ and managers of God's secrets. That's what Joseph was, a manager of God's secrets. In this kind of situation, what is inspected of a manager is that they prove to be faithful. 
He says, if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me. That means death to me. If I do not preach the gospel, he's a slave to the gospel of Jesus Christ. For if I do this on my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am entrusted with a commission. He is a slave for the good news. He is a slave for Jesus Christ. Paul's talking about being a slave for Christ. So I thought to myself in, in my prayer, I thought, do I know anyone who's, who's a slave for the Lord? Who's really a slave for the Lord? And I thought of someone, Steve. My husband, Steve, is a slave for the Lord. Nobody knows it. He gives one-fifth of his week to Bible study. He takes Thursdays off. That's, that's 20% of his income. He works five days a week. He takes one-fifth Thursday. He's at day class and night class. He's schlepping all these bags, all these cameras, all these microphones, all these lights. He's sweating. He's, he's a slave for the kingdom of God, for the gospel to go forth. And he's a slave for the Lord. And in our entire 35 years of marriage, I have never seen Steve happier. And he's a husband to me. He's a father to our five sons. He's a grandfather to our five grandchildren. As a practicing neurosurgeon, now he often prays with patients who would like to. Tomorrow, he's taking a final exam. Please pray for him because um, he's taking a final comprehensive exam. He's getting his master's degree in bioethics from Holy Apostle Seminary in Connecticut. And he has to take everything. He'll have an oral exam and a written. And is he doing this for his own purpose? No. The archbishop asked him to because he's in the diaconate and he's in his third year. And Steve Skills, he's the only physician, deacon, and 35 years of practicing neurosurgeon. He's, he's got some end-of-life issues he, he deals with, and he, he will serve the Lord in knowing and advising, helping uh, with questions about end-of-life issues. And on May 1st next year, he will be ordained, God willing. You're all invited to his ordination at the cathedral on May 1st. But this man is a slave for the Lord. He's all in. Look at him melting over there. <laughs> He's just like, he didn't know I was doing this. Uh, he was crying in the day class. Uh, he had no idea, but he's really all in. I just see him being a slave for the Lord. Now, what Steve always liked like this? Hell no. <laughs> nope. But it's a journey. That's what conversion is. It's a series of giving more every day, laying down your cross, right? It's a series. It's a series. It's a journey. And the end is the promised land. We want to be wheat in the barn. Conversion of heart, repentance, confession of sin, and belief in the good news of Jesus Christ. Growing in holiness. Here's the money. Here's all my worldly attachments. And here's my very life, Lord. I'm no longer a slave to sin, but I'm freely choosing to be a slave of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where the greatest joy, the greatest happiness, the greatest beatitude the greatest satisfaction can be found. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what Joseph wanted to teach us tonight. His great measure of mercy for his brothers and forgiveness. And Jesus, the new Joseph, uh, your measure of mercy is endless. You say, as far as the east is from the west, so far do you remove our transgressions from us. Your mercy is endless, Lord. As you hung on that cross, forgiving us. Oh, we thank you, Lord God. We ask for that measure of mercy for ourselves. May we have a big measure of mercy in forgiving others. Amen. 
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That was part two of the book of Genesis, chapters 45 through 47, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.